You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, it's time for some Raptor news. Going into the offseason, the Toronto Raptors had some pretty tough decisions to make. Starters Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka both entered free agency. And off the bench, P.J. Tucker and Patrick Patterson hit the market. So far, we have answers on three of those players. P.J. Tucker will be going to Houston, but Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka will be staying put in Toronto. And one of the reasons I know this is because of Sportsnet's Michael Grange. Michael is an NBA insider, and he covers the Toronto Raptors, and he joins me on the line now to talk about it. Michael, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, first, I have to say, before uh, we get started, I really uh, made a good decision this weekend in following you, like not just following you on Twitter, I've already been doing that, but making it so my phone notifies me when you tweet, because that's, uh, that's really kept me in the loop. So uh, thanks for that as well. Well, you know, it's the least I can do. <laughs> uh, so let's start with uh, Kyle Lowry re-signing with the Raptors. Should uh, Raptors fans be happy about this deal? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the term is, uh, first of all, I think it, it gives you the best chance, along with, obviously, Ibaka, um, to be a good team again in the East. And, and you know, the uh, you don't have to go back too far um, to, to remember when the Raptors and the playoffs did not go together. And uh, I think the moves they've made to this point, free agency, uh, pretty much guarantee, I think, that they're going to be a, a playoff team and they, I think a, a team that could compete for the top seed in, in the East. And then I think the real significant element is that they, uh, they kept Lowry's term and, and Ibaka's term to three years. And as a result, um, you know, when, when the kind of shelf life of this group sort of gets, gets towards its expiry date, um, it's not going to be a, a, a big problem to try and retool or rebuild or do whatever you need. So you get the best of both worlds, I think. What was your understanding of what the market was like for Kyle Lowry? I, I don't think it was particularly strong, certainly at the price point or the term that Lowry may have been expecting. No comment really on him and his performance the last three or four years. I mean, he's been, I think he's still underrated. I mean, he's, he's been, uh, you know, after Steph Curry and Westbrook and Harden, you know, uh, in my mind, he maybe James John Wall. I mean, he's, he's certainly a top five point guard in the league, top 15 player in the league, probably certainly top 20. And, um, you know, but the issue is, you know, a good number of point guards came on the market at the same time this summer. This is a very deep market for point guards. Lowry was at the older uh, age of that cohort. And I think, as you know, the chips kept falling. Uh, other teams, you know, wanted to go a little bit younger. You had the Houston Rockets decide if they're going to spend big money on a point guard, it's going to be on Chris Paul, who's arguably the best point guard in the league. And, uh, and so I just think that there was no real soft landing spot for Lowry um, other than, than staying in Toronto. So did that let Masai sort of dictate maybe not the, the number of uh, dollars but the years he wanted him for? I think it really was a big factor in the term being three years. Um, and to be honest, and I wrote this at Sportsnet the other day, 
Uh, I think if Ujiri really wanted to, he could have grinded Lowry down even further on the money. Well, I mean, I don't think he did grind him down very far on the money. I think I think Lowry got pretty close to the money he was hoping for, if not certainly that max contract figure. But, uh, you know, I think if he had played a little more hardball, he could have got him at uh, maybe $25 million a year, maybe even less. But then you run into uh, another problem where, fundamentally, you want to reward a player who's helped you achieve, helped this franchise achieve heights they haven't had, reached before. Um, he's been a very, very good performer. And, you know, you don't want to have a guy coming back to you and not have, you know, not be happy about it. So I think if you're, you know, I think if you're going to go to the trouble of bringing a guy back at a pretty steep dollar figure, you want to make, you, it's probably worth conceding a little bit and making sure he's getting money that he can be proud of and uh, feel like, you know, that there's a, you know, a real partnership in place. So I think, I think that's where the negotiation went. I think, uh, like I said, I, they could have got him cheaper maybe, but I'm not really sure that would have, that might have been cutting off your nose despite your trade. Especially where over the past, uh, his last contract was a pretty team-friendly one overall. It turned into be a very team-friendly deal. And look, organizations get in trouble all the time where they kind of try and make up money for on a deal for, you know, when, when a guy outperforms his contract. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster too. But, um, you know, like I think if you're taking a survey, uh, say it's January 1st, or at the All-Star break, and would Kyle Lowry get four years guaranteed? Would the Raptors have to go to five years to keep him? I think a lot of people would have said, yeah. And um, just the way his season ended up, and in particular, you know, he's kind of had this this uh, issue in the playoffs, not entirely his fault, I don't think, but he's, you know, he, that's what's freshest in people's minds is the Raptors, you know, getting drummed out of the playoffs, and Lowry actually through the whole playoffs, performing kind of under his standard, um, you know, I, and like I said, with the market pretty pretty deep in point guards, his, uh, his, his uh, you know, I think he just came cheaper, and, um, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. What did you think of the Player Tribune article he wrote? I thought it was, um, you know, I think it was him, A, you know, on face value, uh, this guy appreciates what he has and, and recognizing, recognizing that this market and this team has been where his best years of his career have been. And, you know, presuming everything goes well the next two, three years, this, the Toronto Raptors and Canadian, Canadian basketball are Kyle Lowry. And so, you know, it's, it's, been, it's a smart, wise move by him to kind of recognize that and go, you know what, like championships are really hard to come by. You know, who knows if the Raptors will be able to do it under Kyle Lowry's watch. I mean, the odds would be no. And uh, just given the environment of the NBA right now, but you know, legacies can be built on all kinds of different things. And, and, you know, an article like that and the, what Lowry is sort of recognizing and expressing you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you want to come back, and when you walk into the Air Canada Centre, uh, you have 20,000 people, you know, 
cheering for you and your kids seeing that because you gave them the best years of your career. All of that said, I do believe that if Lowry had got a better offer, he might have gone. I think there was some reporting by me and some other people suggesting that um, he was open to leaving and he may have had some frustrations here in Toronto. But like we said before, as the market kind of dried up on him, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the situation you're in looks better and better every day. What about the market for Serge Ibaka? I didn't really hear him talking about talking with any other teams. It seemed like it was pretty uh, set that he was going to be a Raptor. Yeah, and there's like a lot of conversation that that had been kind of locked in even before uh, that deal went down. Uh, I think Ibaka definitely wanted to come here and stay here once he got here. I think he really liked it. And he certainly, you know, I think he was an important player for the Raptors to keep just because even if he's not maybe quite the uh, physical specimen that he was three, four, five years ago, he's still a pretty effective player. He was their best three-point shooter after uh, after the NBA All-Star break. And, you know, in the home games in the playoffs, was really, really good. Uh, the road games were another story. But, uh, you know, in terms of was there a lot of competition for him, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know if that, you know, that $21, $22 million mark that he got. But again, you know, the Raptors were going to be at or above the salary cap anyway. And once you get above that cap, once you start touching the luxury tax figures, um, you're kind of, your hands begin to get get a bit tied anyway. And so, uh, you know, it becomes a matter of make sure these guys are here, make sure they're happy. And, you know, trans, you know, communicate to the NBA that you're an organization that takes care of their players. And with that three-year term, if and when it comes time to uh, shift gears, you're not, uh, from the organization's point of view, you're not, uh, you're not, you don't have a bunch of bad contracts lying around that are going to hinder you in the future. Now, what did you make of P.J. Tucker going to the Houston Rockets for actually less money that he could have gotten with the Raptors? Yeah, my understanding was um, I think that's a case of a player. First of all, the state income tax in Texas or the lack of it, you know, all of a sudden that that's worth about 10, 15 percent uh, on any contract. They have that advantage. You know, they, like $10 million in Texas is like about $12 million in, in, in Canada, at least, you know, if you don't factor in the exchange. Uh, you got – uh, let's admit it. You do have better weather in Houston than in Toronto, at least in the basketball season. Really? Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> and then I think the third factor is that team is loading to try and win a title. And I don't think P.J. Tucker is, I don't think, you know, he only made the playoffs for the first time in his career last year. I think he got a taste. And all of a sudden you got Chris Paul and James Harden wanting you to come play with them. Um, you know, that's a pretty heavy concept. And even though the Western Conference is so loaded, I guess he's making the, the assumption that, you know, he still has a better chance to win a ring in Houston than he would in Toronto. And, and in fairness, he, he might be right in that. How big of a loss do you think that is for the Raptors? I think it's it's somewhere between really significant and, you know, a loss. So, uh, we you know, we don't know exactly what P.J. Tucker would have offered over the course of the whole season. Um, but, yeah, there's no question the Raptors would be a better team with him in the lineup. Um, the one kind of 
thing you can sort of make yourself feel a little, a little bit better about is the job he's sort of hired to do. And keep in mind, I think he's looking for four years and nearly $50 million from the Raptors. Um, you know, that job isn't really as important right now in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you know, Paul George is in the West. Jimmy Butler's in the West. Carmelo Anthony's kind of a spent force. And no one can cover LeBron anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, they, he's quite as essential as you might have thought um, otherwise. But, but all that said, he's a really good player. He, I think, just in terms of his emotional um, energy was important on that team, and they're going to have to figure something out to fill his minutes and Pat Patterson's minutes, and um, you know, and, and on down the line. So it would have been better if they could have kept him for sure. What have you heard about Patrick Patterson so far? Um, not much. I mean, I think there's been some interest there with uh, Sacramento, and I really haven't heard much more beyond that, and. You know, he, I just think things, the relationship kind of went a little bit south here at the end. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, P.J. Tucker showed up, and he sucked up a lot of Pat's minutes. Um, Pat was in a contract year, and, you know, he did. He was playing up pretty well and certainly was part of some really effective lineups for Toronto until he, he kind of jammed his knee in December. Never quite the same after that. And then the P.J. PJ Tucker comes along, and, and I don't know if that got in his head or not, but um, – I think Pat Patterson got frustrated. He blew off his exit interview, which, um, you know, was kind of a bit of a red flag. And on the flip side, I don't think organizationally there was this, you know, rush to, like, the first meeting they made was to visit. They made a free agent with the, with the P.J. Tucker. Like, I don't even know if they made a phone call to Pat Patterson. All of that said, um, you know, I think there's a point where Pat Patterson – People thought he might have ended up being a $60 million player in this market. That's certainly not going to happen. And if the Raptors don't solve their needs in any other shape or form, you never know. You might see Pat Patterson back just because, uh, you know, all of a sudden they have a mutual need, and and uh, that's how deals get done. And you've reported on some uh, trade rumors going around starting at the NBA draft. Who's been talked about so far? Uh, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, the issue that the Raptors have with, between Valanciunas, Carroll, to a lesser extent, uh, Corey Joseph, is they need to get out from under some money, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but if they want to bring in a player who's not all, one of their own free agents, the best tool they have to do that is the mid-level exception. But to use the full mid-level exception, it's an eight million. You can sign guys for up to about eight and a half million a year in their first year. Uh, you need to be above the salary cap, but enough below, but about four million dollars below the luxury tax threshold. If this makes any sense, so you need to be have your payroll range in about the hundred and I think about a hundred and fifteen million dollar number. And then you can go out and, and, and sign a free agent uh, using the mid-level exception. If you're not, then you, you're kind of a, a little bit more restricted. Um, so all that to say is, you know, they're neat. the Raptors as they stand now, I think they got about $130 million committed. So they need to find a way to get out from under about $15 bucks. It'd be really nice if someone would take Damari Carroll off their hands to do that. But uh, there's been no evidence 
there's interest in that just because he's been just too rickety the last couple of years. And so we'll see if he's got any game left. Valentunas, um, I think same thing. I mean, good, you know, he's been a really good productive player. Um, but, in, you know, I just don't think he's a great fit playing alongside DeMar DeRozan. And um, defensively, as the game has got smaller and faster, he's struggled a bit, as we've all known. So, you know, I don't think there's a great, you know, no fault of his. I just don't think that they're, that's where they need to spend their $17, 18000000 million. And then Corey Joseph, you know, the, the thing there is they have um, some, you know, I think they really, really like DeLon Wright. They're happy to pay him, you know, $2 million bucks to be Kyle Lowry's backup rather than $9 million to Corey. And uh, there might be a little bit more interest in Corey around the league so you could actually trade him and get a draft pick or some kind of asset back. But that's that's really what's driving any of the trade talk is it's not about sort of sending out players to bring back. Um, it's not a basketball trade. It would be a bookkeeping trade, so to speak. And what kind of names have you heard about as far as free agents that the Raptors would be interested in? You know, not a lot at the moment. Um, you know, C.J. Miles is, uh, you know, a pretty good player who might be available, who would fit the profile of a team that wants to get a little bit of defense and three-point shooting. Um, and then Luke Emba, you know, I'm so bad with names, but um, <laughs> the kid from uh, from the L.A. Clippers, he's the kind of a P.J. Tucker type player, stands in the corner, hit, you know, can uh, can defend. Stands corner and shoot a three and can defend a little bit. Um, you know, after that, it's that's the thing. It's kind of a slim market for free agents. You know, so the there isn't been a ton of names out there yet. And and what will be interesting maybe to watch is as because of the salary cap being lower than people expected. You know, you're seeing and hearing names that people are, could potentially buy, be bought out of their contracts or waived. And those are players that the Raptors might be interested in, too. Okay. And one last thing before you go. What have you heard about the uh, talk about names? The Raptors rookie OG Anubi? Anobi? I think it's Anobi. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, <laughs> they're very high on him. They are very, very high on him. They believe that had he not hurt his knee, I, I think they had him at least, they had him ninth on their board as is. So they were very happy to be able to get him where they did. And then they were at times this year, they thought he was a top five player available in the whole draft. And then he, of course, he hurt his knee in January, I think. And, uh, you know, it's really his final season at Indiana was not quite what they were hoping or what he was hoping. But uh, he's just, you know, he's right now he's a physical, physically he's an NBA player. He's like a big, strong, athletic, uh, they call him a power three, um, the kind of player that can guard a center and can, kind of guard a point guard and in the NBA now that's just an invaluable range of versatility the way teams defend offensively you know he's you know he's not going to create his own shot he's, he's not quite an NBA three-point shooter yet so that's obviously going to be the, the primary area he's got to improve to become a super impactful NBA player but they believe that just on defense alone he's, he's going to be a guy that can uh, step into the rotation sooner than later. And that'll help, especially if uh, with PJ Tucker head to Houston, right? And I, mean, I think that's part of it too. Is, is you know, one reason there hasn't been a lot of talk about who they're going to go get is they're a they don't have a ton of flexibility to go add players financially, and b they actually are quite um, 
confident at the core of young players they have and the development paths they're on. And, you know, Pascal Siakam started 40-odd games last year, and I I think he's going to be a good NBA player. Like, he's, the game is certainly, you know, not too fast for him. He, he understands that he's smart. He's got enough skill. Um, so I think he can he can be an effective contributor next year. Jakob Pertl, uh, same thing. Uh, just a really, really smart, hardworking player. These guys aren't projected to be all-stars, but they are – able to play alongside all-stars and make their lives easier. Um, and, you know, so I think that there's, that's part of the reason that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about who they're going to get is because I think they do like who they have. And Lucas Nogueira statistically has been one of the more productive players. And it's always a matter with him about how, uh, you know, you know, his kind of demeanor in a way and, and kind of inspiring confidence with Dwayne Casey, but he's another guy I think that can, uh, that can help. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you. Thanks for the call. And uh, we'll be uh, following you on Twitter to see what happens next. Sounds good. Okay, have a good one. You too. Michael Grange is the NBA insider for Sportsnet. I suggest if you want to keep up to date on all the Toronto Raptors news, go out on Twitter and give him a follow. That's all for this episode of Canada's Court. If you're listening on iTunes, please Go there and give us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. You can also email me directly at canadascourtpodcast at gmail.com or send me a tweet at Canada's Court. I always love to hear from you guys. That's all for this episode of Canada's Court. Thanks for listening. <laughs>